0: The spark is supported by its listeners and by audible.com with over 180,000 titles to choose from audible.com allows you to listen to an immense library of books for every taste on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, tablet, or computer, including titles that have been featured on this very program, such as Molly's game by Molly Bloom and the abundance effect by Justin Morales. Audible.com has a special offer for listeners of The Spark, which includes a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial. Learn more and get your free audiobook now at thesparkpod.com audible.
1: We don't ever know what it is until we can actually hit that failing point. And if you can handle it and take strength out of it instead of dwelling on it or pitying yourself with it, then I just think it makes you so much stronger in all aspects of life.
2: You never know who's smiling at you from across the counter. Chris Hammis works at Muggs Coffee Shop in downtown Fort Collins, Colorado. Most mornings, when I arrive at Muggs for my daily coffee ritual, I am greeted by his warm smile and kind demeanor. Always engaging, he inquires genuinely about how I am doing. Who knew behind that smile and his kind blue eyes was the dedication and spirit of a true champion? At 26, Chris Hammis is an ultra marathon runner. Not only has he run several 50 mile and 100 mile races, more than once, Chris has crossed the finish line in first place. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. So I want to welcome Chris to Thank The you, Spark. Thank you,
1: Stephanie. I appreciate it. It's a yeah. great introduction. Thank you. Well, it's
2: great to have you here. Tell us a little bit just about kind of your journey here. You, when you first started running, tell tell us about kind of your history in that.
1: So growing up, I always enjoyed running um, the mile and gym class and anything like that. It was always fun for me. So I automatically went to track and cross country for high school. I soon figured out Cross-country at the three-mile distance was a little bit too far at the time, so I preferred to stick with the half-mile of track. So I ended up quitting both track and cross-country my senior year. I just wasn't into it at that time. I think it had something to do with practicing, and just it wasn't my own. (laughs) And also just the distance of running. It just wasn't enjoyable anymore. That's kind of how everything started. To get into the deeper style of running that I've gotten into, uh, it actually happened, my friend had posted on Facebook about a marathon that he was registered for, and two weeks before he would gotten a stress fracture. So I kind of just volunteered to run one, and I was running like five to seven miles a day So I figured that was uh, not even close to what I needed to be doing, but I figured I'd give it a try. So I went down there two weeks later and I ran my first marathon. And that was in April of, I believe, 2013. And it has not been, running hasn't been the same since.
2: So something happened to you in that race? Yeah,
1: something like that it's always a crazy distance to travel for your first time like whether it's your first marathon or if it's even your first 5k for a lot of people it's a long way and it's that mental barrier of breaking that down and being able to know you can actually accomplish these things that don't seem physically possible yeah it's just really cool and it hooks you in
2: how did you here you'd only run five miles a day and then you end up in Illinois at Mm -hmm. this marathon. Yeah. So tell me about the mindset that that you put yourself in to get through that race.
1: Well, I guess in that Specific race or um, whenever I'm jumping up another distance, for that one particularly, I had went out. I think it was like six days before the race, and I ran. I went on a 16 mile run. It's a terrible decision. I never. I would never tell anybody to actually do that in training. Yeah. I just had to see if I could actually cover a decent distance. Uh, ended up with a lot of blisters it was not smart, but I did it. And then when I ended up going down there the next weekend, I just didn't have any expectations. I went, my parents drove down with me when it's amazing how much joy you can get out of something when you don't know, you have no idea what's going to happen. And that definitely translates a lot to the longer distance running as far as fifties and hundreds go. Whenever you make that leap to the next distance, there's so much unknown. It's pretty amazing to just be able to go in pretty free and not have an agenda. Just move forward and you'll get there eventually, as long as you can keep yourself in it mentally.
2: Yeah. I mean, that That seems like that, like you said, you have to get over this mental barrier. Mm-hmm. Going back to that first race, were there times where that mental barrier was you were hitting
1: that? For the first marathon, I don't think so. It's also... I have a tendency of having a very short-term memory with, <laughs> with these things, uh, and there's actually this term that, I guess, type two fun, where it's pretty miserable during this situation and during the race, or just not enjoyable, but then you get done, and within hours afterwards, you're still hurting, but you're thinking, wow, I could do this again for sure. I feel like I could go out and run another one right now. Not the case. But yeah. <laughs> but I don't feel like I really had any low points in that race. It was just a really cool experience to to be able to try that for the first time and I never I just never anticipated being a long distance runner or anything. It was just never a dream of mine growing up or anything. It just happened organically and I think that's probably the thing that i appreciate the most out of it
2: i mean i remember as a junior in high school i went out for cross country as well mm-hmm. for i think a hot 5 minutes <laughs> And uh, it was the same thing, you know. They said, "Oh, for a warm up, we're going to go run three miles." Right. And I was like, "I'm pretty sure my foot hurts."
1: I think I'm in the I'm, wrong sport. I'm going to have to sport. go home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so know.
2: yeah, so I think that's. I, I love what you're saying, though. It, it's it's really an analogy for life too. You know, this thing of as as you were running, just just going ahead. We don't always know what's up ahead but you just put one foot in front of the other, you just keep going and, and there's, there's going to be a finish line. That's It really that's awesome.
1: is. I mean, it, it definitely translates to uh, the longer I've found with the longer races, it teaches me something new every time because it's all about riding out the, the lows and embracing the highs of the race as much as you can. And that's honestly what you do in life it's not always nothing's perfect and it and you just have to ride it out if it's not and it just teaches you strength
2: i found that in my own experience too mm-hmm. and i just think what a perfect analogy through this for you so so what was next so you you said you ran that first marathon you got hooked
1: i had finished that first one and i've it's kind of always the case that people will get done with their first race and it's gonna go one way or the other they're gonna say i'm hooked sign me up for another one or one and done that was all i needed and (laughs) i i did it and that's it
2: yeah check it off the bucket list
1: right (gasps) so and honestly whatever the preference is for people good for them either way if it's if it's a one and done that's amazing if if they want to continue with it that makes me more excited and i think the running community in general but i had so i got done with that first race and i had told i'm pretty sure i told my parents probably that day that i wanted to go back a year and qualify for the boston marathon so i was going to go back to that same race and i i ran another marathon in the fall and improved on my time not enough for a boston qualifier But then I turned around and went back to that same marathon in the spring and got my Boston qualifying time there and ended up running out in Boston two years from the date of my first marathon. And I mean, I had ran another marathon and a couple halves in between there. I loved the road running. I got hooked into it and there's a certain amount of joy that can come from uh, just tempo workouts, the ones that don't that I don't look forward to and I don't feel good during, but it's it's really fun afterwards to be able to look at your look at your splits and everything and see that you actually were able to attain the times that you needed.
2: So, what is a tempo workout, Chris?
1: So the tempo workouts for me consist of usually around like a three mile warm up um, at peak. Training, it will be the middle 10 at my marathon uh, goal pace, and then it'll be a three mile cooldown. So it's uh, about an hour of pretty good discomfort in the middle of it. But it also, once you get into a groove, you can usually hit it if the day's going well. Uh, a lot of them don't, but that's part of running. So that's all right. It's a huge part of marathon training, and especially for just the road uh, marathons. I don't do them much anymore just because of the transition that I've made, and yeah. I always want running to be enjoyable. So even even if I'm doing that once a week, I still prefer not to. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: uh, I like to run slower if I can. <laughs> yeah. So my transition went from marathon, road marathon to road marathon, and it... Boston in 2015 ended up being the the main goal. So I, I had gone out there and ran it just to run it. I didn't, I got a stress fracture beforehand, so I couldn't really run a time that I wanted, but my whole family got to come out and support me. And I can't say how much credit I owe to all of them uh, mm-hmm. for all of my running and just the support they've given me. So it's really neat to be able to share those things with them. But after that, after Boston, I had been living out here. I had moved out here in August of 2014 and I discovered trails. And so that is pretty much where my road running stopped. <laughs> it's to the point now where if if I if the trails are open, I'm going to be on them yeah. instead of roads.
2: Well, and so now, so this is an interesting piece of all of this. Your your transition from marathons, you come to Colorado, you start doing trails. And when you got into this ultra marathon, I mean, the part that I guess we didn't say in the very, very beginning is not only have you run these 50 mile and 100 mile marathons, you've won them.
1: It's not something I talk about, or tr- I don't try to talk about it too much just because the distance is crazy enough to finish that who cares what place you get just as long as you beat the cutoffs.
2: That's because you're humble. And, and you know, the, the truth is, I mean, and, and I get what you're saying. It is amazing to just get across that yeah. finish line. I get it. If, if I walk 100 blocks, I think I would be, you know, thrilled with myself. But... I mean these fifty and hundred mile ultra marathons you've been on. Talk about you started with fifty.
1: Yeah, so I actually I ran a fifty miler before I even left Illinois. It was one of my uh, one of a uh, family friend that I had had for years. He found a race in Wisconsin and he knew I was running marathons and he said, "Would you have any interest in fifty miles?" I probably told him, "What are you talking about? No." But I signed up I just cuz I'll try anything I guess and I went out there and it was the hardest thing that I've ever done looking back on it the trails there are obviously a lot different but it's a lot more just rolling rolling wooded uh, trails with lots of roots and I fell probably quite a few times that day and I do remember the feeling with like probably five to seven miles left, thinking that this thing is never going to end. And it was pretty miserable. (laughs) Uh, But my parents were also out there to support me in that one. So I got to see them from aid station to aid station.
2: Oh, neat. Yeah,
1: Which is very helpful uh, to not be kind of stranded out there on your own. So I had ran that in 2013, and I didn't run another ultra until... July of 2015, so close, I think a little over a year and a half later, and it was when I had moved out here, and I signed up for Cheap Mountain 50-Miler, takes place out in Fair Play, which is, honestly, I'd never been there. such a beautiful area, though, and very remote, so I tried that one and didn't have any expectations going in. Again, and my mom actually flew out and surprised me for that one beforehand. But that was so that was the first Ultra out in Colorado, and I ended up I took the lead, I think, at like mile 30 something. And I didn't think I would ever hold on to it, and I did, even though that was. Two and a half years ago, I can still think back to the last mile knowing that I was actually going to be able to cross the finish line and that like my mom and my sister were both out there. Those are the coolest things for me, just because you just start to... First off, you're running out there for eight to nine hours, and then you're feeling all the emotions of just pure joy. And so it's always funny to have uh, pretty much tears coming coming down my face at the end of every race. So a great feeling to have, though.
2: Yeah, I can see it on your face right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just what an amazing, incredible experience to do that. And and how wonderful that you have this, you know, you have this fan club that I know. comes to your races and just loves and supports you and, and even makes that celebration, I imagine, even more heightened.
1: Oh, so very much so. Yeah, it would not be as fun without, without the family. So yeah. they try and make it to as many as possible and... My sister, uh, who lives out here with also, she has been at pretty much all of my ultras out here, I think, and she will travel with me too across the state and to other states. So it's pretty incredible.
2: That is wonderful. Amazing. So how did you go then? So 50-mile races, you did a couple of those, mm-hmm. and then just why not double it?
1: So I ran Cheat Mountain 50 in July of, 15, of 2015. After that, I had I ran its Tellyride Mountain Run. Okay. Uh, it's a 38-miler. It also has more elevation gain than a lot of the 50-milers out here, and it's also running down in very high altitude with the San Juans. I think that race ultimately probably hooked me into the trail scene because... I've yet to discover any place like the San Juan mountain range that I just, I don't feel like anything compares to it yet. So I'm trying to find that, I guess. So that was probably the race that hooked me in. The whole next year I kind of dealt with injuries in 2016. So I was only able to get that, uh, I went back to Telluride mountain run and ran that again. That was the only race that I think I could get in that year, which is definitely a mental wear on me at this point. Uh, I think I'm finding better ways to cope with not being able to run. But it was those first few races, and I never, I, I, still at that point didn't know what I was looking to do with running. I was just enjoying it, and that was good enough for me. I don't feel like going into 2017... Was I had this thought of saying, here's what I want to do with this year. And, and just, I didn't have a plan laid out. It just kind of took it as I went. So 2017 got pretty exciting and I didn't race. I did my first, I actually went back to a road marathon. I did the Colorado marathon. I also signed up for a quad rock 50 miler, which both run out here. Okay. So they were six days apart. I, for some reason, thought that it would be cool to run the marathon and then six days later run Quad Rock the 50 out here, uh, which it really was. But the coolest part, my my sister actually completed her first road marathon that same day. I actually went back on the course. Uh, after I had gotten done and I was able to catch her for the last couple miles and I was able to run with her for a little while, cool. uh, which was such a cool experience for me to be able to be there for her first full. And now she's very hooked as well. <laughs> so,
2: How cool. That's if, such a great story. Yeah. yeah
1: if I can, uh, I mean, honestly, anybody that I've ever talked to about running knows that if I can try and get them into it, I will. I would never push anybody too much, though. But uh, she
2: had gone to enough of your races. Oh, and she, she, she loves she it. She got the bug.
1: Yeah. The whole scene, um, the, there's, the ultra community is a very special, tight-knit group. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for any of the races that I've actually won, I think that the most people that have been, maybe been standing at the finish line have been maybe eight to ten people. And it's just not a, it's not a spectator sport. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's what I love about it. You're out there for really nobody but yourself. 2017, I had ran those first couple races, uh, was just kind of trying to get a feel for the year. And then I finished my, I guess I actually think I signed up for Bryce Canyon 100 miler before I ran any races last year. It looked like a beautiful area. I had never been to southern Utah, and it is amazing. The rock formations are just incredible. So I signed up for that, and that was going to be the goal. And then I saw Run Rabbit Run 100, which is in Steamboat, and I don't really know why, but I signed up for that one too before I had ran even my first 100. So I had 200 scheduled Uh (laughs) uh, without having any idea what it felt like to run past 50 miles. And I was really excited about it. And yeah. that's pretty much all I could do. So uh, I went down to Bryce Canyon and had no expectation there. And it was it was hot. And it was extraordinary mess of a day. There's a lot more issues that you go through over the span of 21 hours compared to say even like the eight to 10 hours or something a lot shorter, your body just some days doesn't want to handle that type of effort. I guess the coolest part about it is in going into a hundred mile race, you can be, or even the 50, you can be so well-trained and so fit, but yet whatever happened, there's things that happen in that day that you cannot avoid. I mean, it could be weather, it can be stomach issues. It can be, I, it can be a handful of things that just issues that you've never even had before. So that may not even allow you to finish. So it's really cool. I I love the, the unknown of it and knowing that I can, I may have worked so hard to get there but yet I may not even make it to the finish line. I I really like that and that kind of search for failing in a race. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's what obviously people want to succeed and do their best, but I think it opens up a whole new aspect of yourself when you can actually find that failure I think That's a lot of the goal for 2018, as odd as that may sound.
2: No, actually, it sounds perfect. What one of our guests talked about that this failing forward is what he called it, mm-hmm. and that it that you just go out and you do your best, not being afraid to fail, knowing that that's part of this journey, that's part of what's important. That mm-hmm. The fact that you showed up and you got out there and did it.
1: I mean, we're all trying to reach whether it's running or it's, it's music or it can be anything. We're all trying to reach our limits. So we don't ever know what it is until we can actually hit that failing point. And if you can handle it and take strength out of it, instead of dwelling on it or pitying yourself with it, then I just think it makes you so much stronger in all aspects of life. It, it just translates well.
2: Well, and then you're you're not going into that race with fear, like the right. fear of failure. Right. It's like you're just embracing it.
1: Yeah. Let Let's see what I can do. Exactly. Yeah. I've yeah I've I've told because I know that my sister will be at pretty much all the races, and I've told her we both know that not finishing isn't an option for me, but at certain points that is going to be a realistic thing. And I have told her it's going to be a beautiful day when that actually happens. So not saying that I'm hoping it happens soon or at a certain race.
2: Have you completed every race?
1: Uh, So far, yes, I have. I had went down to Bryce Canyon in June last year, and then I finished that one. And I went down to Uray and ran the toughest course uh, that I've ever ran. And it was a 50 miler. And was able to complete that one. And then after that, I had gone out to Steamboat and ran my second 100-miler. And then closed out the year with Indian Creek 50. Yeah, they all, I was able to finish them all. And they were really good days for the most part. Not any one of them was perfect, but that's what's nice about it i i still hope that i have that perfect race on the horizon and it may never happen but i'm still if i can still enjoy the running of it then really nothing else matters so we'll see we'll see where it goes what what the future holds <laughs> yeah there's yeah. there's definitely big plans for 2018 so getting healthy and then definitely have some fun races lined up
2: you know as as we're kind of wrapping up here if someone was interested let's say in beginning to train and and putting on if you will the mindset how would you
1: encourage someone people ask me why do you run or how do you do it and it basically if you if you want to try it take it slow don't there's so many people who are thinking that they need to go out for their first run and say it's say it's somebody who's been pretty fit for a while and they try and go out and do a three-mile run. Well, the three-mile run may not be a crazy distance or anything, but the pace at which most people try and run is way too fast. Ninety percent of my running is actually I could have a conversation when I'm running, and that's the way it should be. You, I said before, my, my tempo runs and my fast-paced runs, definitely not as enjoyable. So I would advise somebody if they want to try to get into it, run slow. Heart rate training is a huge part of what I recommend. That way you know that you're not overreaching. And it's going to take a couple weeks to kind of knock off the rest of your legs and everything. But eventually it, it truly is a meditation and it can be something else. It doesn't have to be running. But that's just what I can relate to. And it mentally, the gains are far more than the physical gains for people. So it's really just giving yourself the chance to, to enjoy it. Because when you pick up a guitar for the first time and play for, for 15 minutes for the first two weeks, it's probably not going to be fun. It's not going to hurt as much, maybe. But...
2: But it's still, but, yeah. I mean, you're building up calluses. Yeah, you're still, exactly. yeah. Like it it's, might be it's painful for people's ears. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, there might but be if some the, pain involved. But if, but if everybody
1: around you supports you like they should, then it won't be an issue.
2: Right. Exactly. <laughs> but but it, I I really do hear what you're saying, and it's it's that thing of that you just keep showing up. Yeah. You know, and you just keep it's it's that tenacity. It's that day after day just going for it.
1: And if you give it a try for a month or however long you see fit and you still hate it, then don't do it. Find yeah. something different. Yeah. Not everybody wants to be not everybody wants to get into running. Could be swimming or biking or something. I was just lucky enough to actually enjoy running. That's why I why I chose that.
2: Yeah. Well and I love that because it's like you found your joy. Mm-hmm. I, I love, as you talk about it, see in your face, you, you just light up about this. Yeah, And so I, I think that that's one of the messages it sounds like too for people is really just find what your joy is. Yeah. It, it may be this. It's, you know, sample this, see how this fits. And if not, there's a plethora of things you can go out there and, and just plug into.
1: It is always nice to be able to finish different races and events but it's all about the process of of things and i enjoy the training the most and if somebody else can find their process that they enjoy it doesn't matter even what the end result is it's as long as you're enjoying it along the way and that's people can find it it just takes time
2: and i think you just nailed it it's the
1: journey yeah it is absolutely i mean that's life so
2: Chris, thank you so much for being here and being Not a, a part problem. of the show. What a delight to talk to you, and, and I'm just excited to see where this goes for you.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I appreciate it. It's always fun uh, to babble about running for <laughs> for a little while. Cool. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Hi, this is sandy gaines host of it's yesterday once more krfc relies on sustaining memberships sponsors and underwriters to bring you the sounds and stories of northern colorado learn more about becoming a member in corporate underwriting at krfc.fm next time on the spark the worse your life is and the more that things are falling apart around you, the more important it is to look for those good facts, feel those good facts, and then take them into yourself. Because that's the way to grow psychological resources like grit and gratitude, compassion and confidence, mindfulness, self-compassion, and others. That's how to do it. We have to feel it whenever you want to grow. We talk with Dr. Rick Hansen, New York Times best-selling author, psychologist, and author of the new book, Resilient, how to grow an unshakable core of calm, strength, and happiness. Next time on The Spark.
2: I met Susan Singley years ago when she worked at the food co op here in Fort Collins. Upon first meeting Susan, her easy laugh, infectious smile, and warm spirit engage you immediately. A few years ago, Susan decided to pursue her dreams and moved to San Luis Obispo, California, where she was surrounded by the dual beauty of the mountains and the ocean. Life was an adventure, but who knew how the winds of fate would take her to her greatest adventure yet? Well, you have a really interesting story, Susan. Tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll move more into how you got to doing this 1,000-mile bike ride by yourself, which is, I think, another important thing to say. You rode this amazing bike ride, and you just made up your mind that you were going to do this. So give us a little background first.
3: I moved to Fort Collins in 2005 to go to grad school at CSU, like a lot of people. (laughs) I lived there until about 2015, and I took what I thought was going to be... Uh, I had worked in a lot of great nonprofit organizations in Fort Collins, but I was ready for a change and I took what I definitely thought was going to be a dream job in California and just decided to jump up and move out there. And it was great and I did really like it, but I realized that I needed to kind of do something bigger, I guess, disrupt more of the comfortable flow of working and I just kind of I guess I thought the move was gonna, you know, be this big life change and it turned out well I was still just living in a town and working another job and I I became really inspired to live a little more off the cuff, I guess. So I started dreaming about bike touring, but I had barely just started mountain biking. I mean, I had commuted on a bike when I lived in Fort Collins quite a bit, but I became really inspired to kind of live a little more wild and kind of not know where my next destination for the day was going to be, where I was going to sleep or eat. And I just kind of got determined that I was going to do it. I was also scared out of my mind. I can't say exactly where the thought came from, but I was sitting In a a coffee shop in Monterey, California, and I saw these touring bikes sitting outside and I saw this couple sitting inside. I thought the bikes might belong to them. So I asked them about their journey and it turned out that they'd been on the road for three years and they had been around the world and they were on their last few months of their of their journey And we got to talking and really hit it off. And then I ended up inviting them to stay at my house, you know, when they were coming through a few nights later. And they became a huge um, inspiration to me about jumping into something that you feel you know you want to do but you have no idea if you can actually do it
2: Mm -hmm.
3: and they said when they left Germany on their bike tour three years prior people thought they wouldn't even make it across town with the bikes that they had set up and with the knowledge that they had at the time they were just like well we just want to do it so we're going to figure it out and I just realized i had been really hung up on in a lot of aspects of my life, on like doing it right. Like, okay, I have to figure out the process being you need to figure something out, figure out how to do it, master it, and then you might be able to do it. And that's really limiting. It's really limiting. And so they inspired me to jump in and not worry about whether I knew what I was doing or not. So that's kind of how I ended up starting to feel like I could do a big journey and the rest of the details were kind of just what ended up being my whim at the time (laughs) okay I guess I'll go do this trip you know in the southwest because that's where the weather looked good at the time (laughs) that I wanted to do it (laughs)
2: well and there were some pretty amazing factors if I remember yeah when when you had first told me the story there was some pretty amazing serendipity that allowed you to do this trip as well. Can you talk about that?
3: I ended up, my ex-partner and I had owned a house and sold it. And when we sold it, it just so happened that we made a good bit of money on it. So we split the money and I had all of a sudden enough money that I was able to quit my job for a short period of time you know so I was able to look at that and say well I could I think maybe be really wise and invest this money or something but immediately I was like or I could do exactly what I want to do right now which what I couldn't I just couldn't not do it So yeah, I was able to quit my job and uh, just kind of set myself aside a particular amount of money for this trip I wanted to do. And I just had ended up being really lucky with being able to quit my job. But that was also really scary. I had never, since I was, you know, out of college, I had never quit a job without a plan for getting back into the workforce. That's not the kind of person that I was. Right. (laughs) And so that was a a huge step in my identity um, development was not seeing myself as some kind of soccer or non-contributing or not being part of, you know, the community or whatever, all those things that were very important parts of my identity previously. That was a turning point, too, even that in and of itself
2: yeah, just a huge leap of faith to just say, okay, I'm going to pursue something that's just a dream of mine. I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily maybe contributing to anyone else, but this is something that's, you know, my soul is really calling me to do.
3: Yeah. It's interesting you say that because this woman that uh, I had become friends with where I lived in California, she said, Susan, I think your job right now is to just go be you with people who don't know you yet. (laughs) She said, I think like what you need to do in this world is just bring, bring yourself out there to more places and more people. And not that she was saying I'm like a traveling, you know, show or something, (laughs) but just that like, I, it was, she could see that there was a lot of benefit to bringing your positivity or your curiosity or your interest in the world. Out there, that that's that's something. It's it's not doing nothing. It's not right. Um, not contributing. I hadn't I'd ever been able to see that or think about that before. I was just that thinking I, that, yeah, that, the that you are contributing yeah, of even saying that you have something to bring in and of yourself.
2: Yeah, that A you're enough. That you're enough. That your contribute your contribution is that you bring your yeah. authentic self, and that's what connects with and can illuminate that connection with other people.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I I don't think in years prior in my life, I don't think I ever would have come to that realization without the help and support of people in my life telling me that, yeah, you have something to share, and you're able to bring something to people outside of the traditional whether it's you know the work you do or the research you do or etc
2: what a wonderful gift that person helped open you up to that that was already there inside of you but allowed you maybe the courage to bring it forward so yeah so tell us then how long were you on the road
3: well I was on the road for so in this specific trip for actually just a little less than two months And that's really like when you talk to people who bicycle tour and everything like or the friends that I met who were out for three years, people go out for a lot longer and for, you know, much more (laughs) impressive seeming cross country trips. And that's yeah, the length and the time isn't really so spectacular about um, what I did. So, yeah, but it was kind of all I needed to realize that. I was never going to live incredibly conventionally again. Yeah. It made me realize that I wanted to be able to live like that with a little bit of planning anytime I wanted to in the future. So it was enough to be to feel like it had changed my life, like there was no going back after living out on the road like that again.
2: Well, and I imagine, too, and I think an important point that I think we need to emphasize is, I mean, that was two months, though. You're you're saying, oh, it's not incredible, but two months as a woman on your own with a bike. That's big. (laughs) That's not just a small feat, you know.
3: Oh, man, there were so many people who pulled off to the side of the road and they'd be like, what are you doing out here? I rode across some really remote parts of southern Arizona. And southwestern New Mexico, where there's nobody out there but border patrol helicopters just like swooping like, what is this person doing out on a bicycle out here in this dusty, in this dust storm in the middle of the desert? And yeah, lots of people were just like, you know, what you're doing is not safe, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it can really get to you.
2: Well, their own fears coming Um, into play. I'm I'm curious, how how did you overcome not only your own fears on the road, but then maybe some of the fears of other people that other people were placing upon you?
3: You know, managing fear, I think, is the central story of all of this. Managing the fear of going out there. And I, I think the big thing was that I didn't get to a point where I could say, oh, I'm not, I don't have any fear anymore. It was like, Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I am a little bit, I'm afraid of mountain lions in the Gila National Forest. (laughs) I am kind of afraid of getting hit by a semi on this big road. So I didn't really get rid of it, but I had to use some methods of being rational about situations, I guess, figuring out how to stop and just think rationally. Okay. Oh, so here's an example. If I really am going to be afraid about camping alone out in this somewhat exposed area of desert, maybe it's BLM land or something, then what are my options? If I really feel kind of sketchy about that, then what you need to do is look at a map and say, where can I go that I think I'm going to feel a little bit better? And is it worth it to me to try to push it to this other place? And some days it was, some days I thought, yeah, I think I'll feel better if I get to that established campground where there might be other people. Or some days it was like, you know, it's probably fine. I think I'm just going to stay here. So I think stopping and saying, what are the actual actions I can do right now? And otherwise, you know, just sitting around and thinking about it or inaction action is causes, I think, more anxiety. <laughs> it doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, you
2: could build it up to whatever you, you wanted to in your mind. It's, it sounds like though, being yeah. logical, being rational, and also listening to your guts.
3: Yeah, there were definitely times where I felt sketched out by a place and I felt, yeah, it's worth it for me to just kind of push on or take this, you know, other route that feels more safe for whatever reason it might be. People or no people, or sometimes people mm-hmm. feel more scary than no people, and yeah. sometimes it's vice versa. <laughs>
2: so, right.
3: Uh, yeah, traveling alone, camping alone, I think it's something that gets easier with experience. I think there's a big difference between going from, say, hostel to hostel or things like that, where you know there's going to be like travelers' amenities and doing like, you know, okay, well, hopefully I can pitch my tent somewhere along this back dirt road (laughs) tomorrow (laughs) you know (laughs) that there was definitely a lot of trusting the process and trusting in the unknowns you get more comfortable with the with the unknown and start to really relish in like the fun of all of that
2: yeah. I mean, the adventure. and And it sounds like I, I really appreciate one of the things you said, which is it's not that you overcome all of your fears and and nor would you really yeah. want to, yeah. But maybe maybe you learn to to quiet that voice a little bit more and you listen to maybe the fears that are going to serve you, if you will, the things that you want to be aware of and mindful, but to keep that in check. And so part of that fear for all of us, I mean, you know, they say there's a healthy level of anxiety and then there's the fear that's the irrational fear that that would really keep you from this journey. And it sounds like you were really able to differentiate those two voices so that you were able to stay on the path.
3: Every small action is a decision, you know, throughout our day, all day, every day. You know, I, I think just being able to relax a little bit, Too, and start trusting yourself, when a few things do start to go really well, in the unknown, you think, okay, maybe I, I can start really trusting my judgment a little bit better, then the fears can kind of change, you know, okay, well, I'm not so afraid of making this kind of decision. Again, I think things maybe can just get a little bit easier on that side, too.
2: Yeah, because you did overcome some of those fears.
3: Yeah. So you're on the
2: other side. And that Definitely. gives you some courage for for other situations that occur. You know, I'm I'm curious, can you share with us just a moment of joy or a moment, an experience during that trip that really stands out for you as just one of hmm. one of the highlights?
3: I had left my dog Olive with some friends and my friends ended up not being able to watch her anymore. So I knew my trip was about to end and that I needed to come pick up my doggy and, you know, come up with some other plans. So I had about a week left before I was going to be getting on the train to come home. So I knew that. And so I was in Flagstaff, Arizona at the time. And I had taken a break there because previously I'd been trying to figure out how I was going to get myself across the Grand Canyon where you cannot ride a bike. Hmm. (laughs) So you have to put your bike on your back and carry it down into the canyon. (laughs) And so I was just trying to figure out like how I was gonna do that. And was I tough enough to do that? And was I stupid enough to like <laughs> want to do that? Et cetera. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well that's not happening, anyways, because I need to go get on a train and go pick up my puppy. So I decided to just do about four or five days of riding that were solely just for fun because I was looking at the map and I realized that Sedona is just south of Flagstaff and it's so beautiful. The trails there are amazing for mountain biking and uh, I just decided I was gonna backtrack some of the riding I had already done to get to Flagstaff and do this little loop going down the Arizona Trail and then west over to Sedona and uh, I ended up doing that and just having some of the most relaxing and calming and fun, spontaneous four days of the whole trip. I went down there and I had this amazing campsite. I realized there was an archeological site nearby and spent the day exploring it. And I felt really, really safe and comfortable where I had camped by myself and just really enjoyed long, relaxing mornings, drinking my coffee and, thinking about what I might do next in my life. And and then I was out mountain biking on the trails and I met this couple from California who had scored one of these really nice campsites that are like always book up six months ahead because it's Sedona. And so anyways, they invited me to come stay with them and I stayed with them for two nights and just had this like, very culminating experience of a few days that were just relaxing and fun and beautiful. And it was like, okay, this is amazing. This is kind of this feeling of like, this is always going to be here for me. This feeling of being on a trip and, and, uh, trusting in people, seeing the beauty in people, people opening up their doors to you. And, but that at the same time, combined with total self-reliance, if that makes sense, yeah. you know, relying on people and fully feeling fully self-reliant at the same time. I think bike touring is a great mechanism for both of those things. So it was more, yeah, so it was just kind of a couple of days that felt like they flowed just like they should have. And it was a good way to finish up and get ready to go on the next adventure.
2: Well, and I'm curious, I mean, that just sounds like, like an amazing experience. Uh, did you end up carrying your bike through the Grand Canyon?
3: <laughs> no, I didn't, because I had to. I had to stop. And so I still would like to do that. The big vision I actually had when I started the trip was to start in southern New Mexico and essentially ride a giant loop. If you think about the four corners where Arizona, Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico meet, riding a giant loop all on dirt roads on a mountain bike around that. So it'd be about 2,500 miles from Southern New Mexico to Southern Arizona (laughs) to Southern Utah (laughs) Mm -hmm. through Southern Colorado and back down. So my trip ended up, you know, encircling about a third of what that vision was. So I have plans to complete it when I'm able to carry my bike through the Grand Canyon someday.
2: <laughs> Wonderful. And that, and that's my next question for you is, is what's ahead for you, Susan?
3: I scored like an, a dream job. That's like almost too good to be true. And I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. So I'm going to be working through the summer and early fall season, and then hopefully we'll be doing Some bike touring after the season's over. But I'm working for the National Park Service. And uh, I'm getting to camp and do biology work out in the field, out in all the national parks in southern New Mexico. And then I'll be transferring up to northern Arizona to do that work this summer. So I'm totally loving the work. And it's really adventurous and fun. And uh, it kind of whets my appetite for... A lot of backcountry time, yeah. so I'm doing that through October, and then uh, planning on doing some long-distance biking in the fall and winter next year. So, if I can wait that long, yeah, wonderful. <laughs> Gonna work now and play later. <laughs> yeah, well,
2: and as you said earlier in the interview, and as we're we're kind of getting close to wrapping it up, you know, you said this adventure and this journey actually was life-changing for you. It was life-changing in mindset, you know, internally, I imagine, in so many ways. What, What would you say is the way that this impacted your life the most?
3: Well, I can think of two things, and one is pretty simple. I used to put these incredible experiences in this box that was for other people. These feats or these, like, things that seemed like peak experiences of life, I mean, I think other people probably, some other people probably do this too, but I never thought that stuff was for me. Mm -hmm. And so I, I put it in a box that was like, oh, that would be really amazing. Or just like the deepest of like fulfilling in fulfillment in relationships or things like that. I, I think I really realized when I was on that trip that I was doing exactly what I wanted to do and what I thought I might never do. That was really life changing for sure the process of getting there and then really being able to see while I was doing it that it was like it is something that that I I can have and that I can do but the other part of it is like I touched on a little bit before that it made me realize that there's so much more to your self than your job and like you know just maintaining Comfort in your you know, house and keeping everything going. There's so much more to learn about yourself by stepping out into the unknown, which I feel like I speak in total cliches every day. <laughs> but, you know, stepping out into the unknown, even if you're still scared, is the best thing you can do for yourself. You'll be closer to who you really are, I think, by taking the risk and saying, I don't know what this is, but I feel like I want it. I'm just going for it.
1: I
2: keep hearing that. That that seems to be this repeating theme about just leaning into your uncomfort zone. You know, it's not not just staying in your comfort zone. It's leaning into that edge where it feels uncomfortable. And that's our growth edge, right? That's how we discover, like you're saying, more of our authentic selves. What a gift.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think you could pretty easily boil down kind of what I'm saying into, into that point, you know, of just something like you'll be scared, but do it anyways. <laughs> That's, all. That's like my my life in a nutshell.
2: <laughs> I love it.
3: Do things anyways.
2: <laughs> right. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Susan, it's just been such a pleasure to have you here in the studio. I, I so appreciate your Again, just just your insight and your enthusiasm, and the inspiration of pushing past our comfort zones, pushing past, leaning into the fear, and then living the kind of life that that sometimes you know people only dream of, and you made an mm-hmm. actuality.
3: Yeah, if you're dreaming of it, you know that you need to actually do it.
2: <laughs> That's right, and that you can make yeah, it happen. Absolutely, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, well thank you Stephanie, it was really fun
2: Yes, it was wonderful to have you on the show
3: Bicycle,
1: bicycle, bicycle I want to ride my
2: My interviews with Chris and Susan were both inspiring and contained a wonderful message about following your dreams. No matter what age we are, we can invent ourselves anew, define new goals, and create new adventures for ourselves. We can dream big and then take the steps necessary to make those dreams become our realities. We can step into a bigger, better, and more beautiful version of ourselves. Neither Chris nor Susan knew what taking the first steps in new directions would hold for them. Chris, just filling in for a friend at a race, found something that absolutely lit him up and has become a huge passion in his life. Susan followed her dreams out to California and then conquered her fears and found huge inner strength and perseverance and resilience that will continue to open her up to amazing adventures that will continue to be fulfilling in her life. We all have these inner resources. You, too, can design, dream, and fulfill your goals. You can create the kind of life that you truly want to live. The future you desire is waiting for you. Believe you can and take that first step. You've been listening to The Spark on KRFC. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Remember... The Spark is your show, too. If you have questions about one of our topics, feedbacks on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at thespark at krfcfm.org. The Spark is produced by KRFC in Fort Collins, Colorado, and airs Wednesdays at 7 p.m. on 88.9 FM and streaming online at krfc.fm past episodes can also be found at krfc.fm to make sure you don't miss an episode you can subscribe to the podcast on apple podcasts stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts thanks again for listening this has been the spark igniting your best life
0: Hey, it's Chris, one of the producers of The Spark. Did you know that you can go back and listen to all of our past episodes of the show anytime that you want? It's simple. Just go to thesparkpod.com. There you can listen to past episodes, get detailed show notes, links to Stephanie's recommendations as heard on the show, and more. You'll also find links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and other platforms, so you never miss an episode. Again, that's thesparkpod.com. Dot com.